wondered what goes on in the mind of your favorite writer? The emotions. The emotions. Each lie. Everything put together into one book, an experience to cast your mind into a world of endless possibilities. This is Bookcast with Michael Olatumbosu. Today we have before us our broadcast journalist's recollection of a sterling career and a book for both professional media practitioners and the general reading public. The book is titled Doton Yelade Reporting, Memoirs of a News Hound, written by Prince Doton Yelade and published in 2022 by Current Incorporated. Prince Doton Yelade is a media professional and great broadcast journalist of repute. He was private secretary to Governor Lam Adeshina from 1999 to 2003 and special advisor public communications to Adebayo Alawakala between 2007 and 2011. He worked as a reporter at NTV, now NTA Ibadan, and later went to television service of Oyo State, TSOS, where he was foundation staff in 1982. He is currently the chief executive officer of the Broadcasting Corporation of Oyo State, a role which he held in 2001 during the Lam Adeshina administration. In the preface to the book, the author sets the agenda for the reader. He writes that the book should serve the purpose of encouraging broadcast journalists and those aspiring to be to further improve their trade by learning from the little efforts of reporters like me and using them as a Philip to excel in their chosen profession. This book is equally targeted at broadcast media practitioners in the practical excursion of their assignments. So, from the words in the preface, we begin to encounter reporter and journalist Dotun Oyelade in his elements and a scintillating voyage through the exemplary career of a super reporter and media mogul. In the first chapter titled Encounter with the General, the author here recalls his experience with General Lolusha Gwambasonjo during a 1978 commissioning ceremony in Undo, and this episode in his unique career as a television reporter immediately throws up one of the hazards of the media profession. So after the commissioning, he reports that his attempt to conduct an ambush interview with the head of state earned him some beating from the general's orderly. However, his rescue by the ADC to the head of state made sure that the job got done that day. In the second chapter, the author recalls with deep nostalgia his interview experience at NTA Ibadan, then NTV, in 1977, when he applied for and got employed as a reporter. He gives us a thorough rundown of the personalities who grilled him for the job, under the leadership of the general manager, Dr. Yemi Farumbi, whom he describes as a wise and highly respected druid. Later on, the author gives us a list of the highly eclectic team that he worked with, including especially the camaraderie and team spirit that pervaded the work environment then. Of course, this is the typical spirit that dominates most newsrooms and broadcast stations even today. Soon after, the author feeds us with the juicy details of some of his field experience as a reporter reputed for his stand-uppers. Of his numerous reportorial encounters, Prince Dr. Yelade here treats us to the nitty-gritty of his reportage of the Ali Mosgo protests that greeted the hike in school fees imposed on tertiary institutions across the nation by the Olusha Gwambasanjo military regime. In this book's third chapter, the author gives an account of his early days at TSOS. Earlier, we read about the intrigues that occasioned the distrust between the staff and management of NTV Ibadan and NTA Lagos and the failure of the parties to agree on the coverage of a scandal about the nation's oil company. So, some of the staff at Ibadan had to leave the station after having gone to court with the powers that be at NTA. 
So it was natural for some of them to find themselves at TSOS in his early days. So the author informs the reader that he and others, despite having been household names on the strength of their exploits as reporters at NTV Ibadan, TSOS under the able leadership of Dr. Yemi Farombi once again will still go ahead with a rigorous recruitment process for them. But as expected, Dr. Yelade distinguished himself. And what follows is a recollection of his reportorial exploit as a reporter at the Broadcasting Corporation of Oyo State. A striking start point is the author's reportage of the trials of Lawrence Anini, the notorious robbery kingpin who terrorized Benin City and environs in the mid-80s. The author recalls that at some point during his coverage of the Anini trial in Benin, he had become well known by the judge, the commissioner of police and even Lawrence Anini himself, to the extent that Anini was granting him more interviews than he did with the other reporters. The author gives us a recap of the trial of Manman Vatsa and others implicated in the failed coup to displace the Ibrahim Babangida military junta in 1986 and particularly beams his light on Manman Vatsa, the alleged leader of the coup, and Major Daniel Idowu Bamidele giving us a slice of his near-depression bout after consistently listening to Bamidele's pleas during that trial period. Included in the narratives of the Mercurial reportorial chest of the author is his coverage of the Inferno that engulfed the Coco House, Ibadan, on 9 January 1985, described as the first known skyscraper in tropical Africa. The 24-story building had been struck by an 18th-floor fire. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsumbosun. I'm discussing the book, Dotun Yelade Reporting. Memoirs of a News Hound, written by Prince Dotun Yelade. In this book, one of the most daring reportorial assignments of Dotun Yelade was when he went to Ikene on hearing about the death of Chief Obafemi Awolowo, former premier of the Western region. As a reporter with a knack for the news behind the news, the unique and the special, Dotun Yelade reports that he meandered through tens of somber-looking faces as his nose for something special and unusual led him to the bathroom of Awolowo where he fetched his angle to the story. Next in line comes the author's rendition of his reportage of the death of Delegiwa, pioneer editor-in-chief and co-founder of Newswatch, whose birth in January of 1985 the author describes as the beginning of real investigative journalism in Nigeria. The author writes that, I quote, Newswatch was deemed too hot for the authorities to handle, digging deep in its investigations and information gathering and publishing without fear, such that it became quite a pain in the neck of the Buhari administration and the Babangida government that came afterwards. End of quote. In this book, Prince Dotun Yelade writes about the tricky matter of political influence on the media. He hints about the tendency of pressing political tendencies to influence professionalism and drown the voice of the people. In the light of this, the author makes reference to the three months during which the Olunloyo government dealt with the personnel of the television service of Oyo State, TSOS. Having perceived the station as pro-UPN and anti-NPN, the ruling party at the center the previous years. In this fifth chapter of the book, titled The Olu Lawyer Story and the Exit from BCOS, the author here provides big indictments on the person and government of Dr. Omololu Olu Lawyer. The three months of Olu Lawyer's government before the military incursion were described as quote-unquote dreadful and quote again as some were summarily dismissed from work the very day the governor was sworn in while others were deployed to the state secretariat at Agodi for months to pine away in deliberately induced idleness. 
I was one of those left to rot in the conference room of the head of service. End of quote. But has anything changed today? That's the question, isn't it? I'm discussing the book, Dotun Yelade Reporting, Memoirs of a News Hound. In the book, the author recalls his international exchange program in the United States and how he almost stayed back to work at some of the media houses that made advances to have him. Then the author gives us glimpses of his foray into the print and publishing world. Thus, he gives us a rundown of important milestones in his trade as a writer, biographer and chief executive of a publishing company. Consequently, we read here about his work on Chief Adeshon Ogundoi, His Royal Majesty and the late Shonwo of Ogumoshon Land, Obaoladuni Jimo Oyewumi Ajagungbade III, Governor Adebayo Alawa Kala, former Chief of Defense Staff, Air Chief Marshal Alex Sabundu Bade, and Chief Emeka Ojuku, among others, including the intrigues leading to the publication of those books. One of the key elements of the book is the injection of the author's reportorial verve and vast experience as a reporter on the field and difficult terrain to enlighten the broadcast professionals of today. For instance, the author adds a chapter which references a textbook titled The Broadcast Journalist, previously written by the author. And the final part of the book is a collection of testimonials and eulogies about Prince Dr. Yelade by people who work with him those whose part and his crossed professionally, including other well-wishers. It also has a section in which his great family, wife and children share their thoughts, fond moments and so on about the author. Ultimately, the book is a well-written, well-illustrated, no-holds-bad work. The author's dexterity with the English language is powerfully on display here. The book is a must-read for all lovers of books. Now, let's meet my guest, the author. In this conversation, Prince Dr. Ilade talks about his career as a reporter, his professional trajectory, and thoughts on some other issues, particularly about journalism as a profession. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatunbosun. Prince Dr. Ilade is here with me. You waited till you were 70 to bring out memoirs about your professional exploit. Tell us why. Well, there are a number of reasons that can be adduced for the timing. The first one is in respect to a literary work by Shakespeare. Shakespeare says, There is a time in the affairs of men which, taken at its flood, leads on to success. Now, you can take that as a reason for my choosing my 70th birthday to so do. Do not forget that uh, I've been authoring books yeah. since 1995. My first work of art was a book I wrote on, incidentally, the industry itself. Mm, broadcast journalism. Broadcast mm. journalism. Way back then, the book still sells in trickles till today. After that, of course, mm. I've, I've written nine books before now. But, as I said in the book, writing a book on myself can be a treacherous part because I've been fully involved in my profession since the age of 24 and I've equally been fully involved in politics since 1991-92. So you see, I mean, and of course, I've had the privilege of serving quite a number of uh, governors in this state, starting, of course, with uh, Uncle Lamadishino, who is my political mentor and veritable uncle. 
I'm from Ugomo and Shaw is from Ibadan. But we met and uh, we gelled and we had mutual respect for one another. I just came back from holiday and his first son, Ayobami Lamadishino, who is a medical doctor in England, visited me. And uh, of course, we've been chummy ever since uh, I got to know his dad. Equally, you are aware that I served uh, my schoolmate, Otumba Alawakala, and now this. So, and I've always been at the corridor of power, so to say. So, being a reporter, I can't wait to regurgitate some of these political experiences. Hands-on, which I had, I can't wait. But that must have to be at the fullness of time. To me, my judgment tells me that I must first and foremost write about my professional experience, which, if you ask me to take either of them, of course, I'll pick journalism. Which was why you stated in your preface here that the objective of this book should be to serve the purpose of encouraging broadcast journalists and those aspiring to be to further improve their trade by learning from the little efforts of reporters like me and using them as a philip to excel in their chosen profession. In other words, this book is for people like us. Yes. And for those who are coming behind. In and this book, those who are before you. And I see that um, it's a very rare kind of book, really, uh, for broadcast journalists, people who have excelled in the industry to write like this. You chose to give us a bit of your professional life in this book, because for me, it's a bit. You have a, a career that spanned over 40 years. Yeah. And that means that there's still more to come. But I'm tempted to ask a question. You also have a very brimming career in politics. I do. You started by writing this one. There's something in it that you've not told us. What is that thing? In politics? Yes. Oh, you have a labyrinth <laughs> of information that I've not told anybody. And that was why I said, veritably, I had been in the corridor of power. I mean, I saw where decisions are taken. I saw reasons for taking them. I saw the flaws, mm. the personality flaws. I saw the societal flaws. Mm. With due humility, I saw everything. You know, not because you are superhuman, but if you have been an investigative reporter from your early 20s, you can't but have the knack for looking at the nuances of development, political development. So, and I was very, very sensitive to it. I equally have my eyes on the ball. I equally have my ears to the ground. So I was able to see those where I, I wasn't present. I was able to educatedly put two and two together and ask questions. And usually they are right with humility. So to answer your question, I think I have a load full in my pocket. So we should wait for that one very by, soon. By the special grace of God. All right. I know you are a very powerful writer, but let's go to the profession now. You wrote about your recruitment exercise experience at NTV, now NTA in Ibano here. And you also wrote about how you crossed from there to TSOS, now BCOS. Yeah. I want to interrogate the issue about the recruitment process. Uh, I practice in the industry, you know, but the question is, that kind of rigorous recruitment, you rarely find them today, particularly with the pro proliferation 
of media houses. No, you how, don't. How do you feel yeah. with this kind of knowledge that you have now? You know, I, I'm not a fan of those who are nostalgic about the good old days. Mm. Because I believe that if you are truly an, a, an achiever and a success in life, you, you don't really have to make constant references to the past mm. before you fulfill yourself today. So um, I am always very careful to compare both because mm. the circumstances are great. I mean, they, they, they greatly differ, you see, and you may not be very fair on your analysis mm. if you have to draw a sharp contradistinction between the past and the new. The, as I said, the circumstances may be different and they usually are. But in the case of our experience at Agudi, we came in April 6, 1977. And in the book, I listed those of our bosses who were present when we were being interviewed. We had stories. We knew many people, brilliant, but who could not make it. In our set, only myself, Tayo Balugun, who was an editor with NTA, and uh, Lulu Akimbola is, has relocated maybe some 30 years ago to wow. the U.S. We were the only three who were successful. So it was rigorous to say the least. I mean, when your potential ogres will want to outsmart you, destabilize you, by asking you really, really exotic and strange outlandish questions <laughs> you know just so they can find out your depth luckily for me uh, my father an educationist i started reading reading newspapers since 1962 when i was in primary four and when i was 10 years old okay so you know the daily times the morning post then later about that time, the broadsheet daily sketch mm. came forth too. Well, of course, the Tribune was uh, 1949, so it was always in our library too. And in any case, I was making very good use of the public library in Ogbomansho. So much so, I was a constant visitor that I can tell you that Mr. Adi Oshun from a town in uh, Oshu State was the librarian. So that, that's to tell you, and you, you know how many years we're talking about? You're talking about 60 years ago. We had the passion for education. Way back then, I knew who the Prime Minister of Ceylon was, a woman called Bandara Naike. I mean, I just gave you that example to tell you the depth of our worldwide knowledge. In the primary school, I was called Histo for Historia, you know, because I loved civics. And in any case... My mom and her aunties and my eldest sister, they all had a song for me. They would say, this is a Connie Broadcasting Service, a parody mm -hmm. of yeah. the, this is the Nigeria Broadcasting. Mm. So way back, I knew I was going to be a journalist. And by the time I was uh, 20, I did my first publication pullout in form of an interview with Sam Opone, and it was used by a gentleman called Jideorimo Guje, who was the sports editor of the Daily Sketch at the time. So, you know, the human memory is far superior to the computer. 
you can see me yeah. regurgitating some of these mm. things. So mm. that's why that even this book is incomplete because when I couldn't intervene with it anymore, when the book got to deadline stage mm-hmm. and I couldn't add anything mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. a torrent of reminiscences started mm. coming in that are probably far more shattering mm. and more powerful than this so, so, but so, that's life so we should expect uh, something maybe a sequel or between something. you and i <laughs> don't be surprised <laughs> you are still listening to bookcast with michael Olatsumbosu. my deduction is you have a very sharp mind oh well and, thank um, you a mind that was eclectic as well and that's uh, leading me to the next stage of uh, this conversation, which has to do with your exploits as a reporter. You wrote in this book your coverage of the Lawrence Anini trial. You wrote the, in this book your coverage of the Coco House Inferno. You wrote in this book your involvement and coverage of the Maman Vatsa coup trial. You talked about the Ali Mosgo protest coverage. You talked about the Obafemi Awolowo story. Your reportage of the issues around his death and the rest well, of it. Well, I, I hope Dr. Mrs. Tokumbo... <laughs> Dosumu <laughs> will forgive me okay. for that. <laughs> but it's a job that has to be done, you see. Of all these experiences, which one stands out for you, even today? Oh, well, th- that's an unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because every reportorial job has a uniqueness of job. I mean, what do you want me to say about my friend Lawrence Anini? Who told me the house of his uncle at uh, Okebola? There, wow. in Ibadria. I got so chummy with him before he was shot dead that the policemen had to warn me. Mm. There was a particular commissioner of police, Osadolo, mm. I guess that was yeah. his name. He yeah. was a very popular crack crime buster, uh, commissioner of police. He called me to his office. I understand the gentleman is still alive hmm. and told me what people was that I needed to be careful, but that he respected my enthusiasm for the job. Or the eerie atmosphere at Ikene on that day when Chief Obafemi Awolowo died. I was moving like a ghost all over the mansion. And I was the first reporter that was allowed to go inside the mm. mausoleum that was specially built to preserve his body. Yeah. And my cameraman was upstairs, I was downstairs, and I was looking up with my microphone to report. I mean, the uniqueness of that is unassailable. And the audacity to meander through the sombra faces mm, I, 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 to his bathroom. Yeah, I, I always get lucky. <laughs> I don't know why. But there is just that thing about me that, uh, I mean, you can't put it down to anything else. Mm. No, it's just the belief and the determination and the focus that, you know, you see beyond the report immediately. Mm. I can see people sitting in their sitting rooms, watching Dotsuyelade each night at 7 o'clock at TSOS and NTA. Then I love hearing the word Dotsu. That was a good report. Wow. Apparently, it was a refrain. Everybody says it. You are used to hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I see uh, from the book that um, you loved this job to the extent that you were willing to go the whole hog to look for the news behind the news, the story behind the story, the unusual. And that was one of those things that stood you out at that time. I'm wondering about the job today, this profession today, 
and the hazard that you had to face and you know for people who also do reporting and also investigative uh, pieces uh, today and one of them was this your um, encounter with the orderly of um, then president Olusha Gwambasanjo at Ondo that was a very risky business because <laughs> i could have been maimed one way or the other i suspect i mean it was a military administration and no holds bad when it comes to their perception of insecurity even by an innocuous harmless young 27 year old reporter like me at the time oh yes and the oddly a very stocky very strong looking man with big muscles he mm. was yeah sure he did that to me but i was lucky to escape i accosted chief obasanjo and he couldn't even remember naturally and i told him my experience we both laughed at it and uh, there it was yes it was another audacious move because it wasn't common that time for you to poke your microphone in the nose of a military head of state surrounded by gun-totting, gun-wielding, fierce-looking soldiers. But we did that, and we did many more. We're in a democracy today, and it doesn't look like anything has changed. Uh, they still treat journalists that way. Most governments in this country at this moment think that the moment you are doing your job, you are a threat to their government. Oh, yes. It's like that all over the world. You can count how many... Well, th that's a worse situation. I was going to refer to Ukraine mm -hmm. now. How many journalists have died? So. How many died during Vietnam? How many died during the Nigerian Civil War? But then, those were worse situations. But our politicians see politics as a worse situation. That is the truth. So, yeah, the situation still exists. But one thing is rather certain, and we need to dwell on this. The kind of respect that you have for the journalist at that time no more exists. Mainly because most of the time, the journalist has traded off his integrity one way or the other. Let me cite an example. In the event leading to the 1979 election, when Alaji Sheushagari was selected, NTV then posted me to Abeokuta. It was a fledgling state. The Ogun state was just created more or less, and they had no TV station of their own. So I needed to go to be sent by my bosses. And uh, Brigadier Egaga was the military administrator. Anyway, the point is, there used to be a man larger than life in Ogun State at the time. His name was Chief M.K. Oabiola. He would come to Abeokuta every weekend. He belonged to the Sheu Shagari, something. We belonged to the Awolowo Jenry, and we were unapologetic about it. So, my car got stolen, and Uncle Niya Degbenro, a senior brother to my bosom friend, Rashid Adegbenro, sent for me and said, Chief M.Q. Abiola would like to see me. The way we were brought up here, the way we comported ourselves, and the way we, without being rude, said no thank you to his offer at that period was the hallmark of what journalism was at that time. He later went I came back here to this very same television service of Ohio State. I had left NTA then to here. He still traced me and 
So that's to tell you that there will always be Jonah. I'm not a saint. I'm not an angel. I'm only citing an example that readily came to mind. So you see, the level of respect that the politician had for the uh, journalist of those days is not quite the same. Now, uh, can we I'm attribute afraid. that to one of the statements you made in your work, uh, this book, Dr. Eladi reporting, that um, the profession lacks second-hand value. Uh, therefore, journalists of today will want to say, how do I take care of the future? Therefore, integrity might just be some, uh, something that a commodity that you trade, if indeed want that kind of life. True. Why is this profession that way? True. But I'm threading on dangerous grants mm. because my colleagues are involved. But you take a look at the group called the Veteran Journalist. That's how you know whether it is worth trading off your integrity for pittance. You know, I know smart journalists who refused money from these people, but because of their consistency on the job and brilliance, you can ask for something. You can ask for a position or something like that, which is far better than the brown envelope. I hope you I, you get my drift. Mm. I don't want to dwell too much on it because we have to be fatalistic about life. Everything has to do with faith. But if I have a son, I will not like him to go to the press center and see how our veterans are pining away. You rejected the tag veteran journalists yeah. vehemently in this work. I, I'd like to read somewhere here. You said, if you do not refer to old practitioners of medicine, engineering, surveying, law, etc. as veterans, even after practicing for over 40 years and above, why should older journalists be tagged veterans and revel in it? I reject the title with all the force I can garner. That's, <laughs> that's the extent to which you could go oh, yes. in this tag. A lot of people enjoy to be described as veteran journalists. Oh, yeah. No, different strokes, you see. But if God spares my life, I like to still be very relevant in the active mode of journalism up to the age of 90 or beyond. Everything depending on my faculty. If amnesia has not come my way, but we should not limit our bars. We do that a lot. You think that if you spend 20, 25 years, then the next thing to do is to gloat over it, over a bottle of beer, and revel in the tales of um, when we were. No, 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 no. The good old days is now. It speaks to the welfare package of journalists. A lot mm. of journalists today True. are not you know, getting paid, particularly for the print. It's even worse for the print. Absolutely. Uh, what can we do about this profession, really? I'm short of words because when you begin to look at the issue from that perspective, you find out that you may be unfair to tag journalists for what they are, generally speaking. Don't forget that I equally said in the book that there are thousands of brilliant journalists who are pride to the profession, holding their own all over the world. You are still listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsumbosun. You wrote about persons as well. You wrote about the camaraderie that you know existed in the industry. When you came in, you mentioned names. In fact, this book is um, more like a testimonial. Your testimonial about colleagues 
in the job yeah. and particularly for those who managed you you, you talked about uh, dr yemifa rombi very beautifully in this yeah. work you described him as a druid i was wondering and i'm looking at his book on your table in this office as well you must have such profound respect for dr yemifa rombi oh definitely yes what makes him the gentleman what makes him far more unique apart from his innate and residual brilliance which cannot be hidden is accessibility you know he represents a man who does not take himself for granted and who sees life as a very simple place to orbit he has no heirs at all mm. invite him to anywhere in the hole he'll find his way there that's the kind of man and you know it's not for lack of anything to do he respects people and he naturally loves people so that's the uniqueness of him that's why he's uh, someone i do not like i love so much wow and you also mentioned uh, you know your brushes with uh, the omololu or Luloyo government <laughs> and um, that episode <laughs> continues to ring don't get in my, me into in trouble mind. in Nevada, please <laughs> <laughs> but has anything changed today when a new government comes. The new government naturally sees journalists or media houses as uh, press singers of previous administration or the opposition. It happens still today. And, um, you know, in our history in this country, you had, you know, journalists being, you know, incarcerated in some cases. They are being redeployed to other places because governments thought that they were threats to their own administrations. These things still happen today. Yes, it does. And uh, I'm afraid it will continue to happen. You know, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Some government leaders see themselves as uh, people who can do no wrong, you know. The best way to govern is to pretend to be a fool. You know something? Yet, you ask around and even give the people the impression that it was their idea in the first place. What's wrong with humility? Um, um, skirmishes between a Dotun Eladi and um, our father, Chifomolulu lawyer, will always happen. But we, we became quite attached to one another after that. But the beauty of it is we never referred to those episodes, even in our interactions. So, I mean, you know, leaders will always be leaders. Prince Dotun Yelade is the author behind the memoirs. Dotun Yelade reporting Memoirs of a News Hound. Thank you for your time, sir. My pleasure. Anytime. That was my conversation with Prince Dotun Yelade, the author of the book Dotun Yelade reporting Memoirs of a News Hound. I hope you loved it. Thanks for listening to Bookcast with Michael Olatsunbosun. Drop a comment and engage with Michael Olatsunbosun on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Tumbosun. And join us next time on another episode of Bookcast.